Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, please. 1 Corinthians 12. We're at a very interesting point in our study on the gifts in the body. Because today is the last spiritual gift that we're going to deal with in detail. And then we're going to be able to move along to Paul's greater understanding that he wants the church to grasp. If we're looking at this and we're thinking, oh, I have that gift, I have that gift, I don't have that gift, I don't have that gift, that's a good thing, but we're only getting about 20% out of what Paul really wants to communicate here. What he wants us to understand is that the body of Christ, the church, can do incredible and dynamic things because when the church is obedient to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God desires to show Himself through its people. And if you've got a lot of people, born-again believers in Christ, who are submissive to the Spirit of God, and you begin seeing the Spirit in me, and I begin seeing the Spirit in you, and we've got this cross-threaded humility and unity that manifests the Spirit, Next thing you know, you won't be able to keep people out of this building. Because they will say, God is doing things, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be involved. I want to be invested in it. That's what God desires to accomplish at Grace Bible Church and every church that is called by His name. It's His blueprint given in Scripture. So that's the reason why we're taking all this time to go through slowly, Unpack every gift, help you identify your gift, help you get assimilated into the church. I know I hate that word too, but I can't think of a better one. Sorry, connected. All the kids are saying connected today. Get you connected into the church because no believer is meant to sit still. Every believer in Christ is a minister to the body and a missionary to the world. And how you minister to the body is only affected by using your spiritual gift. I would go as far as to say, no other way. You say, well, that sounds very narrow-minded. I don't know that it's narrow-minded so much as it is recognizing that God has given every believer at least one gift because He wants us, you, me, doesn't matter, to serve Him in a particular way because it's about His desire and His Spirit manifested through us, not what I want or don't want, what I like or I don't like, what I prefer or wish wasn't here. Do you realize there's probably some people that don't come to church here just because we have a drum set in the corner? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird that we've gotten to that point? Think about how much is being hindered or what could be done for God's glory just because of that mindset. When they have drums, they must worship Satan. I tell you, an attitude like that is exactly what Satan wants, not the drums. So we have to be very careful that what we're most concerned about is what does God want and what are the things that matter. And I'll tell you this, there are a few things that matter more to God in the church than us knowing and utilizing our spiritual gift. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. How do I know that? Because Jesus died to secure it for you and give it to you. I can't think of any greater thing to use in worshiping Him. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. I'll try not to labor too much in this. We've gone over it a lot. Some of you probably got it memorized now. Maybe you're dreaming about it. Why is 1 Corinthians 12, 7 in my, my brain? Hopefully it is. 
But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Please mark it. Don't miss it. For the common good. Let me squash this real quick. It's not going to be the last time you hear me say it, as is anything that comes out of my mouth. Okay? Spiritual gifts are not for you. They've been given to you, but they are not for you. And as soon as we say, well, I just want to know my spiritual gift, and the goal of knowing that spiritual gift has got something to do with me at the center of it, I'm in trouble automatically. Because I want people to notice me, pay attention, reverence me, build up my pride, puff up my ego, tell others about me. Go tell others. Tell others about Pastor Jeremy. Don't tell others about Pastor Jeremy. Tell others about Jesus Christ. And use your spiritual gift to do it. It's got to be for the good of others. Never self. Self is the great defeater of the church. It is the great dam that keeps us from having the Spirit flowing through the church. I'll tell you what it does. It keeps you from worshiping in spirit and truth. Because we're so concerned about I, I, I. My issues, my problems, my sins, my concerns, my opinions. What if we laid all that down and we said, you know what? When we come to the Word of God, when we walk through those doors, when I see my brother and sister in Christ, God, show me how I can best minister to them. I guarantee you will not walk away from that situation empty. God will not let it happen. He is looking. He died to have willing hearts that would worship and operate His way. So for the common good, it's got to be for the common good. What have we looked at so far? Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, let's have just a little appendix here. If you notice today, I'm not dealing with the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Let me tell you why. One of the greatest problems in the book of Corinthians is the abuse of the gift of tongues. And we're going to cover the rest of 12, chapter 13, and 14. And in all of that span, he deals with the issue of tongues and how to properly understand it. Now, I could sit here and call a timeout and we could cherry pick all kinds of verses on tongues and try to put it all together and understand. My goal would be, let's deal with the spiritual gift we have to deal with. And then let's just let Paul unfold it for us so that we can follow Paul's train of thought. So we're going to deal with this last spiritual gift that we have. And then we will move forward and work through that. Verse 11, before we move forward. But one in the same spirit, what's the word? works. Who's really working when you're exercising a spiritual gift? The Spirit is. We are just willing vessels in His hands. Lord, work through me. Because if we're the one at work, that's how you get tired. That's how you get bitter. That's how you burn out. That's how you quit. Because it's all flesh. As far as Jesus is concerned, the flesh is dead. You ever seen dead people get work done? 
No, my kid don't do anything I say. They're not dead. They're just lazy, okay? That's what it boils down to. But anytime we've ever tried to do anything in the flesh, it's always come out bad. It's got to be done in the spirit. There is a wellspring that never runs dry. And that's what you need when you're doing the Lord's work. The spirit running through you, working through you. So notice the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one. Everybody see each one? That means that every believer in Christ has a gift. Well, pastor, you don't know me. You don't know where I came from and what happened and all of this stuff. And there's no way God could ever. God doesn't care. That's why grace is there. Grace looks beyond any inadequacy that we think we would throw up to him. It's kind of like Moses arguing, Lord, don't send me. Don't you know I can't barely talk? Yes, I know that, Moses. You're, you're a mess. Go do what I said. But I'm not, you know, the most qualified. I know that, Moses. Go do what I said. It's real easy. Just obey the Lord and trust him to work. It's that simple. So he says here, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. The Holy Spirit decides. Now, do me a favor, skip forward real quick to chapter 12, verse 28. This is a very interesting verse. I, I, there's so much ridiculous, nerdy debate about this verse, I, I just stopped reading it after a while. It seems pretty clear to me, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, Helps, administrations, which we concluded is the same as leading in the church, a gift of leading, various kinds of tongues. Seems like a pretty good little series were there, yes? Everybody see the word helps. This is the only time that it's ever mentioned in Scripture. It's not the only time that you see it occurring in Scripture, but it's the only mention of the word in Scripture. And that's what we're looking at today, the gift of helps. Now, some of you still have your answer sheet. And you notice that you've only got one blank left, yes? Next to I. Who knows? Can we bring this up real quick, PJ, with the line designations on it? There we go. And so you notice up there, you've got A through L. We filled all of these in. Next to I is going to be helps. Now, next week, you're going to get brand new surveys with brand new sheet. Because now that we've gone through all these gifts, You can go back through the week and you can listen. If you went through and you said, you know what? We went through the gift of wisdom. Maybe I wasn't here, but I scored pretty high on this one. Go back and listen to it. See what you find out about it. Ask the question if that's you. And then you can come to this test more knowledgeable of being able to answer those statements so that you will come out. Maybe maybe your entire thing would be completely different. I know that when some people have learned more about the gifts, what they understood that they are, they were able to better comprehend the questions or the statements that were there and come out with something completely different and it made a world of difference in how they ministered to people. They've recognized, I shouldn't be in children's ministry, I should actually be over here doing this. That's what happens. So in your last one, I there, helps. Please write in, helps. What is the spiritual gift of helps? Well, let's give a definition real quick of the spiritual gift of helps so that we can see that. And it's actually pretty simple. Because it is the only mention of this word in the Scriptures, it makes it hard to, to pin down because you don't have anything else in the Scriptures to compare it to. So that makes it difficult. What does the other context say with this word? We don't have that luxury. We only know it here, and it's mentioned in a series of things. So we know that it's very vital to have in the working of the church. In fact, I would say this. Helps is one of the most vital spiritual gifts that you will ever find 
in the church. What is it? The ability or capacity to help or assist. Seems pretty plain, doesn't it? What's interesting is it's derived from this root word. The the word means to grasp or to lay hold of a situation. It's somebody who gets in there and is active. It's someone who is asking the question, what do we need to do? And then with a smile, right, with a smile, they're the person who gets in there and wants to do it. Now, if you've got your handout today, your, your bulletin, you would pull out this sheet. We've been giving you these half sheets. This is the last one that you're going to get. The spiritual gift of helps. We'll go through and take a look at this about what the qualities of those people are. First, we'll deal with the conclusion of this type of person and what they are with the gift of helps. Notice it says at the top, the God-given ability to see tasks and to do them for or with someone in order to lift external burdens. In other words, it might be this type of situation. You've got someone who is trying to operate according to their spiritual gift. The person with helps comes alongside that situation and says, what is it that's kind of in your wheelhouse that you have to do? But if you had to be honest, you really don't want to do it because it's, it, it's not really right in line and focus with what you need to do. I'll take that on me and I'll get it accomplished. For instance, if I, and I'm just musing here, okay? If somebody came in and said, hey, I want to organize your office. Exactly. <laughs> Revival would take place in my office. Because I look around, I'm like, I feel claustrophobic in this place. But I don't have time to mess with it. I don't, that's the last thing I've got. Where's that paper? Where's, you know what's interesting is I could tell you where all those papers are on my desk regardless of the mess that they are. But if somebody would come in and say, you know what, let me organize this. I have the spiritual gift of administration. Okay? To be able to organize that and take care of it, uh, fine. The problem why I wouldn't want the person with spiritual gift of administration is because they would be bossy in telling me how I need to do my office from that point forward. They would get ejected from the office. The spirit is not in that, right? (laughs) The person with helps just simply says, how can I help? Yes. That's a workable attitude. I love it. That's great. Because they're there to say, however you need me, I'm there. Now, I'll tell you this. This is a fact. I don't, one thing I know is the chairs were broken down last Sunday after worship. And some of you have been so awesome and gracious in helping take those and move them against the wall, taking care of them so that we can do a wanna here. But somewhere between Thursday and Sunday morning, they get set up again. Sometimes it's different people that do that. Sometimes it's one person in particular, and they don't want recognition for it. Sometimes it's been our college group that will come in and will help take care of those things. But here's one thing I know. It's a job that needs to be done. If we advertise for it, not everybody's going to show up to want to do it. They're like, oh, that sounds terrible. But there are certain people who don't want to be recognized at all who are here faithfully and get this set up all so that we can have a place to sit on Sunday. That's the gift of helps. That's someone who says, what needs to be done? I'm here to serve. I'm here to do it. And that's why it falls under the category of a serving gift. What kind of people are they? Well, here we go. They choose short-range projects on which to work. You know why that is? Because when somebody helps, the satisfaction that comes from that is completion. 
They've got to have closure on a project. So they get involved, they get it done, and it's done, and they can say, yes, that's a stepping stone. We can now move forward. And that's how they move forward because oftentimes they don't want the public recognition. I think about all, you know, everybody makes like the stereotypical thing, those little old ladies who cook those dozens of casseroles in backwoods Baptist churches and you never know who they are, you're just eating their food. Those are the ladies with the gift of helps. You know, if you brought them out and said, hey, we want to recognize Edna today, they would, they would strangle you after that was over because they don't want to be recognized. But what they would appreciate is they're getting their dish back clean. You know, that's what they want. Everybody ate and was fed. That's that attitude that they want. It's a short project. They can accomplish it. When they receive closure, they've automatically got the feedback that they need that reinforces and encourages them. Again, they put it forward for the common good. They got blessed and filled up in return. Notice this, they like to be told what to do. Now, of course, that doesn't mean in a domineering way, but they're here to serve. How do I serve? What needs to be done? Give me some direction. And then you know what? They just go to work and they just do it. This is my mom. My mom does this. What needs to be done? She's like a ninja. I'm like, go for it. She does. And she gets in there and she works hard and she'll come out and she's sweating. It's done. Completed it. Doesn't matter how long it took, we got in there, we executed it, we got the job done. We went down there, we served those people at that soup kitchen, praise the Lord. That's it, she's done. What's the next thing we need to do? She's relentless in the gift of helps. She's a hard worker, obviously. Stick to a task until it's finished, because they need it to be finished. That's the, that's the, that's the drive, that's the thrust. Likes to be reassured that their efforts are needed and appreciated. I'll be honest with you. That's where my job comes in, is to recognize who behind the scenes is doing those things and come along and say, thank you for doing that. Do you realize how much the words thank you accomplish with somebody in the body of Christ? Everything. Sometimes that common good that they're putting forward, what the common good is that they need back is just appreciation. They just need to be told what you're doing matters and it makes a difference and it's fantastic. It's great. How about this? Considers any job important, whether large or small. Now, here's how you know the person that doesn't have spiritual gifts. Because they look at it and they go, well, that's silly. I'm not doing that. And they kind of scoff at it, frown at it. Let me ask you, why do you think that somebody with the gift of helps would consider any job important, whether it's large or small? What do you think? Why? What's that? There is a sense of accomplishment that comes with it because of the fact that it needs to be done. Right? And what do we say? Well, somebody's got to do it. There's your gift of helps person. They come in with the cape, but you can't tell who they are and they get it done. Let me ask you this. Who are they doing it for? Ah, there's the difference. See, a spiritual gift is never executed. We have a lot to learn from people with the gift of helps. Spiritual gift is never executed with the idea of, well, I'm going to set out with my spiritual gift because I'm going to minister to Jim. If my goal is Jim, my goal is gone. Now, that doesn't say anything about Jim. It says that my priorities are out of whack. Why am I doing it for Jim? Because then Jim will be built up and Jim will notice me and Jim will all of a sudden want to talk a little bit more. Maybe Jim will put a little bit extra in the offering plate. Maybe we'll get Jim in on that coffee team that we need to brew that because I love coffee so much. And it all becomes about selfish motives of give and take. I've just created a buying process. 
because I'm trying to buy Jim's affections or his service or, or way to go, pastor, that was so good. Trying to buy something from him, it's an exchange that's taking place. If I'm doing it for the Lord, it just happens. Thank you, sir. I won't go into that story. But one morning he did bring me a cup of coffee, and it was beautiful. But if we're setting out with the idea of, well, I'm going to use my spiritual gift for this person, and that's the goal, it fails. If Jesus is the goal, the demonstration of the spiritual gift just happens. And that's how everybody benefits from that. So when a person with the gift of helps is working for the Lord, it doesn't matter if it's a big situation or a small situation. The Lord's who I'm working for. So if it needs to be done, you get it done. Why? Because it's all about Him. It's really interesting because the people with the gift of helps are never above a job. They're the ones who see the bad job and they're smiling to get involved. Why? It needs to be done. The Lord's who they're working for. You say, that's not me. Great, exit off your list. It's not you. Fantastic. But for those of you that are with the gift of helps, boy, you're needed. Boy, you're needed. All the time. It says here, support and help those in leadership. Why? Because it's an assisting situation. Takes orders well. They don't just want to do the job and know what to do. They want to do it to the best of their ability. How can I get in there and do a quality job? Why? Working for the Lord. It's got to look good. Trust me. Churches have done enough bad jobs. Okay? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It always drives me crazy. We never need to have a rummage sale here. Okay? Because last time I was at a church and we did a rummage sale, people were digging stuff out of their garages that had been broken and rusted for years. Here, can a church sell this? No! Well, it just needs to be taken to the dump then. Then take it there! Why did you donate it to the Lord? What is wrong with you? Priorities are out of whack. They're looking for somebody to dump their stuff up on because they're selfish. Yes, that's the problem. Bad quote. That's a pet peeve. Forgive me. Joins in quickly to assist when needed. Who's struggling? Who's driving the struggle bus and trying to get their ministry accomplished? You get the person and helps in there, and guess what? You're able to drive a lot better. The people with the gift of helps take a surviving ministry and they turn it into a thriving ministry. I don't know about you, but I don't know of one ministry that the Lord would desire to have done in His church that needs to be in survivor status. It should always be in thriving status because the Lord is in it. That is so important. If it's spirit wrought, Why would the Lord lead it in failure? He doesn't. This is what keeps people from doing what has always been done. Or we're going to do the same thing we did last year. This keeps people very fresh on that. Here's another interesting thing that's not on here, but if you want to write it in. The people with the gift of helps make excellent deacons and deaconesses. Because they're always asking the question, where do you need me? What do I do? Show me. And they want to get in there and they want to make a difference. A couple other things I wrote down that if you want to put it on there. They understand that they're part of a greater whole. They recognize probably more than anybody that what they're bringing to the table is an assistance of the ten other gifts. And they're actually setting the other gifts up for success. They're taking the low road in order to elevate everybody else. And the last one, just to write it down if you wouldn't mind. 
People with the gift of helps are the most overlooked people in the church. They often go years without even anybody asking the question, well, who does that? Does anybody know? I mean, you don't have to say it, but, but just think for a quicker. Do you know the main person who comes in and deals with this chair situation? I wouldn't know it if somebody didn't tell me. I had to ask, how'd these chairs get set up? Was it you? I had to ask Zach, was it you? No. In fact, I told, chair, I told Zach, stop setting up the chairs. You're the youth minister. You're here to equip the body of Christ. You're not here to do the work of the ministry. Am I wrong in saying that? No. We need people with the gift of helps to step up. We might not even know who does that. Pray for that person. They need encouragement. They're doing a good job. All of our behinds are thankful. Let's move on. Let's see the gift of, let's see the gift of helps in action. Turn over to Romans 16. Back to the left just a little bit. Last chapter of Romans, Romans 16. I'm going to give you four examples of the gift of helps and what they look like. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. We don't know much about Phoebe. In fact, this is the only mention of her in Scripture. Who is a servant. And it's very interesting because that word servant is where we get. If you notice, you've got a marginal note. If you've got the New American Standard, you've got a marginal note. It says deaconess. Okay, it's the Greek word that is used there for a female servant. She's there to serve. She's a servant of the church, which is in Centrea, I guess, what it is. What Centrea is, is it's a larger city that's located off the province of where Corinth was located, okay? So we think about 1 Corinthians, this is something they can connect together. Watch this verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Just because she has the gift of helps doesn't mean that she's a lesser. She's not a second-class Christian. She should not be treated any differently because she does nothing but serve, serve, serve. No, no, no. Treat her in a manner worthy. Notice what it says after that. And that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. See, here's what we do. Here's the mistake we make as the church at large. Well, I don't have the gift of helps, so I don't have to. Oh, my gosh. I bet if you don't have the spirit of mercy or the gift of mercy, you probably shouldn't be merciful to anybody either, should you? That sounds Christ-like. Yeah, we love that. Right? Does that sound good? No. Man, even people without the gift of administration still have to do their taxes. Yes? Yeah. Exactly. Well, that only goes so far sometimes. But, but for real. Sometimes we say, well, I don't have that gift, and we exclude ourselves across the board from doing any of that. Pay attention to what the, se- what the text is saying. When she shows up, welcome her in a worthy manner and help her. You know what that says? As she's helping, help alongside. Now notice, this takes Phoebe from being kind of a doormat because nobody was called in the, in the body of Christ to be a doormat. It takes her from being a doormat and it puts her in a position of actually leading other helpers because she's gifted on how to help. Here's how you do it. Here's how you get involved. She may need to be told what needs to be done in a certain ministry situation, but I guarantee you this, when the body of Christ comes along and says, how can I help? She'll turn around and she will lead them in the proper areas of how to help and how to do it quality, how to do it right every time. It says here, you need to help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. And what's interesting is that word there for helper is the idea she's been a patron. She's not just involved physically helping. 
It's not just about body work in the situation. It's about the idea that she's also monetarily invested into the work of ministry. She's giving her all in order to build up the body of Christ. Notice here that she's to be respected and that just because you don't have the gift of helps doesn't mean that you don't help. If anything, you look to the person with the gift of help to understand how to help correctly. Because they have that gift, they can lead you into those waters. How about a next example here? Turn to the right to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. Now Stephanus is mentioned back in chapter 1. He's considered one of the only people, Stephanus and his family, uh, that Paul baptized so that no charge was brought against him. He brings it up. I did that. Now he wants to bring some sort of spotlight on Stephanus. It says here, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. Now, Achaia is the region where Corinth was located at. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the larger province there where you would find Corinth. It says, and that they had devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. In other words, there are other saints, believers, who are doing ministry. They were asking the question, how do I come along and help them do ministry better? If it's for the Lord, it needs to be top-notch. Would you agree? This is one of the reasons why we like the chosen, yes? There are some things that are off about the chosen, but as far as quality-wise, we're like, how come all these people have not been doing Christian stuff like this from, from the beginning? This is actually a quality thing that I want to watch. I know, some of us have watched some Christian things. It's like dragging your face across gravel. I get it. I get it. I've been there. But in that situation, you want something top-notch. You want something quality. God's church should be quality. It's those helping people that get in there to help the saints with the ministry. Look what it says after this, verse 16. That you also, now this, is, this had to just kill the flesh of the Corinthians just a little bit. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. What was Corinth's problem? The flashier my gift, the cooler of a Christian I am. So watch me speak in tongues. Everybody take note of me. Look what I can do. It's like Stuart. Everybody remember Stuart? Look what I can do. Like that kind of thing. That's kind of what first what the Corinthians were doing with this tongues. They were bringing so much attention and focus to themselves. Notice what Paul says here that cuts across the grain. You find somebody with the gift of helps, submit yourself to them. Lay down your personal biases and bring yourself into submission to people who are gifted by the Spirit to help. Gosh, that had to hurt. Why? Because helps isn't flashy. Because helps is hard work. Well, because if, if, I'm, if I'm participating and submitting myself to those help, they might ask me to do something that might put me out of my comfort zone. They might ask me to do something that I'm not the focus of attention. They might. And that's exactly the dose of medicine that the Corinthians needed. You need to be humble. You need to be submissive. Be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Archaicus. People take note, good baby names. Because they have supplied, watch this, they have supplied what is lacking 
on your part. What in the world is that? I tell you what, nobody knows. But I think the next verse gives you some insight into it. Watch this. These three guys, Stephanus, we're focusing on, have come in and have supplied to Paul what is lacking on your part. Verse 18, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Stop. From what you know reading through Corinthians, were the Corinthians very refreshing Christians? No. They're just misunderstood. Yeah, that's a good one. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. You know? They got this newfangled Christianity going on over there. I don't know. But here's the thing. Corinth was not very refreshing. How refreshing it was, instead of a lot of people standing up in church go, look at me, pay attention to me. I've got something from God. I can show you something. Watch what I can do. Check it out. You have Stephanus, Fortuitus, and Achaicus, whatever their names are, step into this situation and go, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And Paul sits back and goes, good grief, that's refreshing. Everybody's spotlight somewhere else. Spotlight somebody where what needs to be done to further the cause of Christ. Tell me what it is. Well, you know, somebody really hasn't cleaned the bathrooms here at the building in quite a while. Great, I'm on it. Where's the brush? That's the gift of helps person. I'm really having a hard time getting this gum out of the middle of the carpet here and afraid somebody's going to step on it and get it all messed up. Great. Let me go get some stuff and we'll get it out. That's the gift of helps. They want to get in the nook and crannies and they don't care how dirty they get in the process. They want to get it accomplished so that others can benefit and thrive in the work of the ministry. It's the same idea here. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, here's what's interesting. Acknowledge such men. That word is actually our word epigenosis, which is the idea of getting a firsthand, real fuller experiential knowledge. But in this tense, the way that it's used is provide some recognition to these people. We've had enough of looking at people that are falsely trying to be flashy with gifts that they don't have. Let's turn around and really show off the gifts that people really do have and the difference that the Spirit can make through people, not the difference that you're trying to make in the flesh. Recognize them. Acknowledge them. Exemplify this opportunity so that everybody can learn and be humbled by that. That's a, that, that's a good thing. What is it? What is it? Yes. That was not to say that you leave the bathrooms dirty and somebody need to come in and do it. Good. Good. Understand. Real quick, I'm curious. Tabitha, on your, on your profile that you did, do you have the gift of helps on there? She has the gift of helps. She's here cleaning the church when nobody else is looking. And her husband, too, comes in, yeah? Guys, I'm going to tell you a secret. She has to clean the men's bathroom every week. You know what? I don't ever hear her complain about it, ever. She never walks in there and goes, What died in here? That never happens. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. There you go. I, I never get that complaint out of her. Ever. Never. You know why? Gift of helps. Gift of helps. What's that? Art. Art has hung and changed more things here than I even understand. Unbelievable. Art doesn't want any recognition. Art won't even look at me right now. <laughs> look at him. You know what I'm saying? Art won't even look at me now. More. 
What's that? He is pretty good at, well, he learned that from me, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's good. See, we, we've got them. We see the effects of it. It's good stuff. I tell you what, let's turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5. And I'll be honest with you, this one could or could not apply to somebody with the gift of helps, but I think you'll be able to see the qualities that go on in this passage. We won't spend too much time on it, but 1 Timothy 5, look at verse 9. This is talking about how the church supports widows, how the church is involved in, in helping with situation of those who aren't married, and how do we go about ministering practically to them so that they can survive. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old having been the wife of one man. Now those are things that you would not sit here and say, well, that's part of spiritual gifting. Age, of course we understand that. Marriage wouldn't necessarily be part of that. But notice that in the next verse, you kind of have this explosion of spiritual gift stuff that happens. And it's all about the attitude and demeanor of how they've approached their life. Verse 10, having a reputation for what? Good works. That's just what they're characterized by. When you talk about that lady, that's one of the first things that pops to the forefront about them in your mind, and everybody knows it. Look how this moves forward. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Does everybody see that there's this selfless assistance? that is put forward to help others who need it. Does everybody see that? I believe this is an, an example of the spiritual gift of helps. Think about what it goes through there. Uh, shown hospitality to strangers. Washed feet. Now, of course, that doesn't just mean, I'm done with your feet, get out of my house. That's not what that means. But it's the idea of supplying those needs of just having basic care for others. The feet were the nastiest part to deal with in that time. If she has assisted those in distress, where are others struggling and how can I help be a difference maker? How can I get practically involved? I think those are good examples. Last one here. Turn over to the next book, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 15 through 18. One thing to remember about 2 Timothy, it's Paul's last letter. He knows he's getting ready to die. He brings that up at the very end of this. He writes to Timothy, who he loved probably more than anyone else on the face of the earth. And he's trying to encourage Timothy here. And it's kind of startling to think about his comment here. I just want you to, if you can for a moment, try to put yourself in the mindset of Paul and think about, you know, he's in jail. He knows that probably he's getting ready to be beheaded for his faith, uh, that he's going to die. He doesn't have much longer. The Lord's, it seems that the Lord has let him know your, your time here is almost done. And he says in verse 15, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now real quick, this is a big deal. Because if you were to, if you were to take your Bible and you were to turn to the back of your Bible, if it's got maps in there, and you talk about the region, region of Asia, we're talking about churches like Thyatira. We're talking about churches like Ephesus. We're, I mean, with the, with the Ephesians, he spent three years there. 
more than any other time, ministering, pouring into them day and night. He actually says he ministered to them every day in tears, begging them to believe everything that he's told them and to embrace everything that they've taught and learned and to be obedient people. And now he's kind of sitting at the end of his life and he's like, man, so many people have deserted me. Let me tell you this real quick as just an aside. I am blown away somebody tragically. I'm blown away sometimes tragically. I think about how many believers have walked away from the faith that I know, that I've had the opportunity to minister to personally. And it's always for prideful, self-serving, sinful reasons. And they have abandoned the faith. So I can kind of get a little bit of what Paul is talking about here. They've up and they've gone. And and isn't it interesting that he brings up two people in particular? You know what that tells me? It tells me that those hurt pretty bad. It tells me that Phygelus and Hermogenes walking away really cut Paul to the heart. Watch what he says here. The Lord grant mercy, verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often, here's this word again, refreshed me. Because when he showed up in my life, I started going up, not down. It tells me that Onesiphorus probably had the spiritual gift of helps. It says that he refreshed me. And not only that, but watch this. This is great. He was not ashamed of my chains. Here I am in prison, locked up. I've got shackles around me. I'm probably chained to a guard. And Onesiphorus said, you know what? I don't care. I love you. I want to help you. I can look past all of these other things that might bring public shame or deteriorate your reputation or whatever you want to say. Well, it's just not good social being in order to hang out with Paul right now. He's in a complicated place. I'm so thankful we didn't have all that flighty stuff back then. Onesiphorus looks past the persecution and he cares about the person. That's not any different with the person with the gift of helps. They want to serve the person. He was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Any of you ever watched a dog go after a treat? And what is it? And you're like, whoa, that's crazy and kind of gross. Right? But here's the thing. They're going to get that treat, right? What's going to stop them? Nothing. And if you try to play with them, which hands it in? They're going to bite your hand and get that treat. They want the treat. Imagine being in a ministry situation in the middle of Rome of all places, not what it eventually became, but still a a pretty rough and trying place for Christians. And you're probably a little bit down in your ministry because you're coming to the end of your life. You're recognizing so many people have walked away from the very thing that you've spent your entire life investing in them because it's eternal matters and it matters forever. And that's the same thing I said twice, but you get it. And somebody was searching for you like a dog searching for a treat. Because when they got with you, they wanted to know, how can I help? How can I take you up? How can I give what the Spirit wants me to give so that you can experience the common good of the body of Christ? How can I build into you so that you can minister in what you do better? Onesiphorus found him and there was joy. There was refreshing. In the midst of thinking about everybody that had turned away, this person had not done that. Notice, he searched eagerly 
for me and found me. Verse 18. Notice the eternal perspective he has on this. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Now, church, for believers, what is that day? The judgment seat of Christ. And what is the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is where every believer in Jesus will be asked about and brought through an evaluation of what they did in their time in the body on earth while they were a believer and what they did whether it was good or whether it was bad. It'll all be unfolded before the Lord. Every attitude, every bit of bitterness that we have, every sense of unforgiveness that we hold on to that is just eating us up from the inside out, it will all be unfolded and displayed before the Lord Jesus. You say, that sounds terrifying. Not for those who are obedient. Not for those who for their life said, I just want to serve Jesus. I don't care about anything else. Those are the people that hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice what Paul's saying here. When I was down and out, when I was discouraged, when I was overcome, guess what? Onesiphorus showed up, searched me out, refreshed me, encouraged me, loved me when I desperately needed it. Lord, please, when he stands before your judgment seat, give him mercy. Why? Because he showed mercy. Because he was a merciful person and helping me in my ministry to further the gospel. Show him mercy, Lord, please. Give him mercy on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. He had a reputation for services. Anybody want to guess what that Greek word is there for services? What's that? It's not just help. It's the same word that we get the word deacon from. It's just a little bit different. But it's the same root word for deacon, servant. What serving, what deaconing he was doing there. What giving of himself he was doing there. He had a reputation for it. Why should we care about identifying the people with the gift of helps? Number one, if your ministry is not the gift of helps, I guarantee this, you need a person with the gift of helps to help you do your ministry more effectively for the Lord. They're indispensable. I I read one commentator said this, a church can lose a pastor and eventually have another one that will come in with the gift of preaching and teaching in order to uptake that role. But you lose people who have the gift of helps and you will find out how crippled the body of Christ becomes. Because he can't do anything. Because it's all that behind the scenes that goes on. This is the reason whenever we watch TV shows and they have those long credits that flash afterwards, how many people were needed in order to get that production off the ground? All the actors are the ones who get the accolades. But I guarantee you, that one guy that made sure that that sandbag was secured so it didn't fall on actor whoever's head, pretty important guy. Pretty important guy. Do you have the gift of helps? If this is you, the question on your mind then is, how can I help? If you don't have the gift of helps, here's the response. Thank you, God, for the gift of helps in the body of Christ. It's all about serving Him faithfully. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this wonderful gift. We thank You, Lord, that only You can give it. Only You give it through Your Spirit. We thank You, Lord, for selflessness. Selfless bodies who want to be involved, threaded within the body of Christ. 
assisting, nurturing, helping, doing the work that many people would turn their nose up to. And not only that, but leading the body of Christ in how to help, how to be involved, how to do what is necessary, how to get the job done. Lord, I ask right now for those who desire to exercise their gift faithfully that you would grant them mercy on that day. That they would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not because they were flashy with their words. It's not because they were incredibly deep in their Bible study. It's not even that they knew how to put together a project and execute it. It's the fact that they desired to serve you at all costs, no matter what needed to be done. There's a lot of humility that we can learn from that. There's a lot that we can pay attention about the servant attitude that comes with that gift. Lord, please bless us with eyes to see and minds that don't easily forget. We pray it in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.